Welcome to the next part of our preaching series as we look at generosity. Um, we're doing four parts and today I get the joy um, of doing generosity of talents um, following on from the service and we do communion as part of our service which is really exciting. Part of what I looked at and I've been looking at as we've been playing around with this topic and my thinking and my leading and typically for me, I've gone in lots of different ways and lots of areas as I've explored this service um, and explored this preach. But I came down to this small section and I put a video out already this week on generosity by the um, Bible Project. And I'm going to use another video as part of the preach this morning. Um, and it's this whole thing that God is the generous host and how we hold that, how we look at that and bring that all together into one um, and as we hold that that then dictates all of who we are and how we do generosity well um, we're going to see um, in the first video how the Israelite nation was formed and shaped by God and that was their identity that was who they became and today as I bring this talk as I bring this preach to you that's the thing to hold on to, that are we being shaped and is our generosity shaped out of who God and Jesus is making us to be or whether that's coming through some of the world and some of the lies and some of the difficulties that we come holding who we're meant to be and who we're shaped to be and what the world says we are. So that's my intro. Um, and we're now going to move on to the video clip. Now, this is Bible Project. Um, and this looks at the story of Exodus um, up to where we're going to talk at today. So here is the Bible Project. The Book of Exodus. In the first video, we explored chapters 1 through 18, which tell the foundational story of how God rescued the enslaved Israelites by confronting and defeating Pharaoh, while offering a way of escape through the blood of the Passover lamb. God then delivered his people by bringing them through the waters of the sea and then into the wilderness, where, surprisingly, they grumbled and complained. Now, the second half of the book of Exodus opens as Moses leads Israel to the foot of Mount Sinai, where God invites the nation of Israel to enter into a covenant relationship. And here we reach another key moment in the biblical storyline, because this is picking up and developing God's promise to Abraham. So remember, from the book of Genesis, God promised that through Abraham's family, somehow he would restore his blessing to all of the nations. And here we find out more. God says that if Israel obeys the terms of the covenant. They will be so shaped by God's laws and teaching and justice that they will become a kingdom of priests, which means that they will become God's representatives and show all of the other nations what God is truly like. Now, the people of Israel eagerly accept the offer, and so God's presence appears right on the top of Mount Sinai in the form of cloud and lightning and thunder. And Moses goes up as their representative, and God opens with the basic terms of the covenant, the famous Ten Commandments. These are like the basic terms of the agreement, how the Israelites and God are going to relate to each other. And then after this come another collection of commands which fill out the first ten in more detail. There are laws about Israel's worship, about social justice, how they are to live together, all shaping Israel into a nation of justice and generosity that's different from the 
the other nations. So Moses writes down all of these laws and he brings them down to the people who, again, eagerly agree to enter into this covenant with God. And once they do so, God takes the relationship forward another step. He tells Moses that he wants his holy and divine and good presence to come and dwell right in the midst of Israel, which develops another aspect of God's covenant promises. So remember, after humanity's rebellion in the garden, it was access to God's presence that was lost. But now it's through the family of Abraham that God's presence is becoming once again accessible through this covenant relationship, and first with Israel, and then somehow one day to all nations. So what follows are seven chapters of detailed architectural blueprints about this sacred tent called the tabernacle. There's an outer courtyard with an altar, and then in the center there's a tent that has an outer room and then an inner room. And then inside the inner room, which is called the most holy space, is a golden box called the Ark of the Covenant. And there's angelic creatures over the top of it. It's the hot spot of God's presence. Now there's lots of detail in these chapters, and it's important to know that every piece has some kind of symbolic value. All of the flowers, the angels, the gold and the jewels, it all echoes back to the Garden of Eden, the place where God and humans live together in intimacy. And so the tabernacle is like a portable Eden, so to speak. It's the place where God and Israel can live together in peace, at least in theory, because right here something goes really, really wrong. Israel breaks the covenant. As Moses is up on the mountain receiving the blueprints for the tabernacle, down below at the camp, the Israelites, they're losing patience. And so they ask Moses' brother Aaron to make for them a golden calf idol so they can worship it as the God who saved them out of slavery in Egypt. Now God's presence, it's right there on top of the mountain. They can see it. But here they are below, breaking the first two commands of the covenant they just agreed to. No other gods and no idols. Now what follows is really important. God knows what's happening down below. And so he first invites Moses into his own anger and pain. And he tells Moses what he wants to do, just to wipe Israel out. But Moses intercedes by appealing to God's character. He says, first of all, destroying Israel would be going back on your covenant promises to Abraham. And then Moses appeals to God's reputation among the nations. What would they think if they see you destroying your own people? And so God accepts Moses' intercession and he relents. And while he does bring his judgment on those who instigated the idolatry, he forgives the nation as a whole and promises to renew his covenant. And it's right here at this point in the story that God, for the first time, describes his own character to Moses. He says, the Lord is merciful. He's gracious. He's slow to anger, abounding in covenant faithfulness. He forgives sin, but he will not leave the wicked unpunished. So we have this tension. God is full of mercy, but also he must deal with evil if he claims to be good. And above all, God is faithful to his promises, even though it means he knows he's committing himself to a people who are utterly faithless. And so after renewing the covenant with Israel, God commissions Moses to go ahead and build the tabernacle. And once again, we get five long chapters describing in detail the construction of the tabernacle. And it all comes together in the final chapter where the tabernacle's finished. God's glorious divine presence comes and hovers over the tent and our hopes are high. And so Moses, he goes right up to enter into the tent and he can't. He actually can't go in. And that's how the book ends. 
As I said, um, I shared a video with you on Friday um, about generosity. And there's a bit in there that I love and is how I'm framing most of this talk. Um, and this is this thing, that God is the generous host. Um, and throughout history, we're still fighting that lie that actually there isn't enough um, materialism as we sit with today and all the world around us and this is what we're meant to be and that actually nothing can give you that except yourself. Um, so we're still fighting that line. And generosity is God's counter argument to that, that actually as we trust in God's goodness and love, that God is the generous host. And I'll say that again. As we trust in God's goodness and love, that God is the generous host. And as we hold that, and as we understand that actually that he's everything, that actually we can be generous because we know that we are going to have more than enough. We know that he is bigger than any situation or circumstance, or he is bigger than anything that we have within a need. Um, to be generous when we have everything is easy, but even if we're finding now and today with what's going on, to be generous when we're worried about what's going on, um, to be generous to storehouse at this time when we're worried about food, um, to be generous to people around us when we're worried about sickness. If we believe, and as we hold this tension we're going to look at in the next section about holding God's perspective, that he is enough and can, is going to provide everything, actually it's easy to be generous with what we have. Um, I want to pull out a few verses um, in Exodus 35, and that's where the story comes up to. As we saw in the video, it talks about this big list of things that they've provided. Um, and there's a few verses. So if you have your Bibles with you, um, open up Exodus 35. Um, I'm using the New Living Translation today for a few different things, and also popping into the CV, the Contemporary English Version, to have another hold of how the scripture works. Um, so you've got your Bibles open, thank you. Okay, so I've already said, um, and you heard in the video that we've listened to this morning, about these Israelites are going to be a nation shaped by God. And I think as they are shaping, generosity is a part of that. Um, and we've got to remember that what they've come from. We look at the beginning of Exodus, where they are people of slavery. There are people held and oppressed by others. They've moved through, they've seen God provide in amazing different ways. Um, and we see God provide these the covenant, this relationship document about how they're going to work together. Um, and then we come to how to make the tabernacle. Moses builds it, but how are they going to do that? And 35 is the calling of Moses to the people to say, this is what God has said. And verse four and five specifically, I want to start with. Um, and it says, take a sacred offering for the Lord. Let those who have generous hearts present the following gifts to the Lord. And then it details um, everything that they need to build the temple. The big part here, what I hope this is that those with a generous heart, it doesn't say all of you should do. It starts in that relationship with generosity in your heart and your relationship with God, that the two are hand in hand. That if your heart and if you, the way that your relationship with God is, then actually you will hear and understand what he's asking of you. Um, verse 10 says, come all of you who are crafted, gifted craftsmen, construct everything that Lord has commanded. And the CEV -E says it this way, which I love. It said, if you have any skills, you should use them. 
So at this time for the temple, for the tabernacle, they are saying, bring all that you have, both financially, but practically, so that we can build the house. And that for me, as I've looked at this topic, is the heart of a generosity of talents, that you bring all that you have within your financial side, um, all that you have within your hands, your talents and your skills. We move through um, to the next part um, of the scripture and get on to verses 20. Um, and it says, Moses finished speaking and left um, and then returned to the tents. All whose hearts were stirred and whose spirits were moved came and brought their sacred offerings to the Lord. They brought all the materials needed for the tabernacle, for the performance of rituals and for the sacred garments. Both men and women came, all whose hearts were willing. Again, it's that relationship with the practical and the spiritual, that their hearts were enabled to give. It wasn't saying everybody should do. Here is a list. Here's my shopping list. Go and do it. It was talking to the nation of Israelites and saying, this is a heart act. This is your gift that you are bringing. Um, and as Matt spoke brilliantly last week about um, bringing your tithe, this week I want to focus on bringing your talents, your skills. And now some of those are going to be spiritual, but also some of them are going to be practical. And for God's house to work and to function well, we need all of that coming together. Um, 29 says, Moses told the people what the Lord wanted to them, and they decided to bring their gifts. Again, heart change not just um, physical, not just financial, it was heart. Um, and this is a little bit to 36, but I still love this as well. We can look at this one as well. Um, verse two, then Moses summoned Belzebel and Elihab and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability who was willing to come and do the work. This is God using practical gifting, not just spiritual, to build the temple. And the temple today for us is our church um, and how that is. But is it just the church on Sunday or is it the extension of our church throughout the whole week? And hopefully as we, not hopefully, but as we look at the end and we look at some of the application of some of these verses and what it means to be a people who are shaped by God and generous with our talents and skills, you will see this is not just for Sunday. This is not just for the Sunday morning service. This is being generous throughout our week um, to people around us. The idea that they are saying that God is my provider does not change from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Um, that sense that everything we have is his and he will meet our every need. That is intertwined throughout the Old and New Testament. That story doesn't change. It's a story that gets forgotten, but it's a story that doesn't change. Um, and as I was looking at this, I was reminded of Romans 5.20, which um, I love when it talks because it brings some content about the abundance of what we have in Christ. Um, we've seen at Easter and we've heard the story um, of the resurrection, crucifixion, death, but then life um, and how grace is that element that just charges the whole story because we in ourselves don't have everything but in Christ in God who is that generous host we have all things and Romans 5 and I've got the verses coming up on the screen you'll see 
and it talks about how sinful we were and we sinned all the more. But this God's wonderful grace became more abundant. It was just not limiting. It wasn't just a bare, let's just get enough to cover. It was extreme, this abundance, this all-surpassing favour, this um, increased all the more. So in our moment when actually we are wondering whether we God is generous enough, God has enough, the crucifixion shows us again how gracious and how abundant Christ and God is. That Trinitarian love for us is far bigger than we can ever hope or understand. And as we understand generosity, we have to understand that whatever we feel about ourselves, whatever we feel if we're unworthy or we don't hold the skills or the abilities, we have to come back to that verse from Romans 5, that God's wonderful grace became more abundant. And in us, to live that daily, to hold God's perspective that we're going to move on to next, is that idea that actually we hold that truth that God became more, God's grace became more abundant in our lives. So I'm moving, I'm having to use paper for this to keep me um, focused. So next slide, next um, coming up now. And this is the whole point of holding God's perspective, is that God is enough, that he is your provider in every single circumstance and situation. Um, and not just financially, but practically. And I've got one, two, three, four, five, six points of this next section that I want to just quickly go over to explore and show what it means to hold God's perspective. First one is this, that everything we have is God's. Um, there's some great resources out there if you want to spend some time reading some books um, around how what we have is his he gives it to us we're called to be his stewards we're entrusted to you by god to for our skills and talents he's made you he's created you so all that you have and bring is what he's already invested in you we're called to be his stewards for his glory so when we come and serve when we come and use our talents and our skills it's not to big up me it's not to highlight and make me look better it's about bringing god glory and god all the power and god all the glory and he entrusts and entrusts us with what we have so first point everything we have is god's the second one is we are god's resource and that's quite scary at times to actually think about that but to hold and think that everything we are and do is at god's disposable so when it comes to our talents and our skills, do you hold it like that? That think all that you are and all that you bring is actually God's and it's his resource to use wherever he wants. Third one, and um, I love this. Matt did bring it a little bit yesterday, um, last week when he spoke about money. But the 2 Corinthians 9, 7 verse, you know, it talks about for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And, and that root is the hilarity of it. We don't serve out of obligation or fear or duty. We are generous out of that cheerfulness. You know, God loves it when we give and bring our gifts to the church, to the wider church throughout the week and in your employment, um, in your schools, in your friendships. When you are generous, 
God loves it. God sees it and is finds it as something of beauty. So are we going to bring our generosity from a heart that is transformed and that is doing it out of hilarity and cheerfulness? Or are we doing it out of dredge? Matthew 6.21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think Matt used that last week. Um, and it's not relating just to money. If you are, that heart attitude again is not where it needs to be, that will you be generous with your talents? Will you be greedy and think, actually, these aren't for other people, these are just for me? Um, it looks at that motive again about why you want to um, bring generosity. Does it build me up? Does it make me feel special? Does it enable me to say, but actually, look at me, how wonderful am I? The whole heart of generosity is one that gives without being seen. Um, it's hard when we're serving because people see it. But how much do we do out of our want to be noticed? Generosity is something that's actually unseen a lot of the time. Next point, and we've got some verses to back this up from Philippians and Ephesians, that actually, if we, as we hold God's perspective, we have the spirit of God within us. We are God's equipped resource. So I've bought already and said that we are God's resource. It's not like he's just bringing us to this party and saying, actually, go see how you do. Ha <laughs> I hope you get all right on all right. This is God saying, actually, you have the spirit of God within you. And as you bring your resource, we're doing it equipped through the Holy Spirit. And there's two verses, as I said, which are coming up on the slides now um, to show you that actually we come with power and we come with a spirit within us. And this is Ephesians 3.16. Um, and I've given you NIV and New Living Translations here. And it says, I pray that out of his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Unlimited resources. When we come to be generous and serve in the church and bring our talents and skills, God's going to empower you. He's not going to leave you stranded. Philippians 4.19 says, And the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. We are equipped with the riches of heaven. We don't come to be generous with our talents and skills out of the small crumbs at the bottom. We come out of the immense riches that we have in Christ Jesus. Um, and the last bit for holding God's perspective is this. Um, and... It's something that I've been challenged with as I've been looking at this, where we are called to be shepherds and kings. And what I mean from that um, is that in the Christmas story, when the shepherds come and bring their gifts to Jesus as he's in the barn, wait, you know, he's been born and they come and they bring their gold, frankincense and myrrh. So much of when we want to be have talents, it's about that sort of thing. We feel that we've got to have the big stuff that actually means so much. But when I think, and when I've been praying through this, this whole thing about being shepherds and kings, is that actually, yeah, we are meant to bring our financial, meant to bring those gifts to the to the house, to the temple, but also meant to bring what we have in our hands. And the shepherds brought the lamb. They brought what skills they had to Jesus. They didn't have the huge amounts of money. They didn't have the riches of the gold, frankincense and myrrh. They bought a sheep. And in the end, those two gifts are so different. 
But I think that's a great example of what it means to be generous with our talents and skills, that God calls us and asks us to be both shepherds and kings. Um, the next two parts that I want to look at as finished as part of application and also one, I think, of the challenges that we have um, is fighting this lie that God is not enough. Um, and I think that's something today in our society that we struggle with even so much more, that we're still fighting this lie that God is not enough um, and that we try and help him. Um, and there's a couple of elements of that. Um, so I think it's we are fighting that, you know, this lie that God is not enough. But then the other side, we're fighting this lie that we have nothing to offer. And I think one of the big statements that sometimes runs into our minds that challenges us, Louise has been asking us what our gifts are. For some of us, we're going, yeah, I can do that. I can provide a list or I can provide an example. For others, that would just send us delally because what do we bring? What is worthy? What is acceptable? And what I want to say to us today, and I think what has been that challenge, as I've said already, through the shepherds and kings analogy, is that we bring what we have. The example from Exodus, as the people brought their gifts, they brought their talents, they brought simple things for the temple. It wasn't the high, complicated stuff. And when we talked about this, about bringing our gifts to God and what they look like, our talents and our skills, God brings and uses whatever we have. And our church is new life. Actually, I think we have a, we're a great example of that, that we bring what we have. But one of the big lies that I think is out there, and this is my next slide that you're going to see now, and it is this. You are not good enough and you have nothing to offer. That is a huge lie that our society develops and builds in so many different ways through media, through this compare and contrast you know, that's what that skill looks like. So if I don't have it like that, then it's not good enough. And that's so not the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible, and as we've seen through Exodus, is that God takes whatever we bring. Jude used the great example of the fish and the loaves last week. It's whatever we have, God will use. And if you're sitting there today listening, thinking, yeah, but I don't have anything, please message me. And I would love to chat with you about that and actually trying to say, but this is what I see in you. This is what skills I think you bring and what you bring to church. Um, so if this is an area which you've actually been struggling with and actually you believe some of the lie, that is you have nothing, then actually I'd love to challenge you on that and bring some of the things that I see in what you bring. A few examples of um, the challenge around this and the fight and the lie that as I've been looking at this week, um, I haven't been in a few churches over um, through being at Bible college and moving around quite a lot before coming down here. Um, and I've always been eager to serve. I've always been eager to get out there and do stuff because um, I think I've got so much to offer. Um, and when I was younger, I just thought it was people being just not seeing, not acknowledging my gifting. Um, and a lot of churches I've been in, I thought, yeah, but I could do that. I could be so much better than them doing that. And it's taken me a time and a period to actually go, but you're looking at the wrong area. You know, what you are doing, your heart is not. If you are trying to outbetter somebody or say, this is how it's meant to be done, then actually 
that's where the leadership were being wise and actually not using me because that heart was not in the right place. As we looked at Exodus 35, it is about the heart and about bringing what we have in the right attitude and the right way. So I have been in those places where I want to do stuff. I've been so eager to do it, but the motivation has been always the wrong way. Um, and God's challenged me and, and spoke to me over that in the past about, am I doing it to be recognised? Am I doing it to be seen? Now, bringing our talents and our skills to church, to the temple, to our week, where's the humility? Where is the heart of you know, that, the transformed heart, shaped by God heart, that does it? Because actually, do you want to love the person? And when I was in Bournemouth, um, I did something which actually is just na- natural, I think. Um, that it had been raining um, and the service had finished and this person tried to get the car started and it wouldn't work. It was pouring out of rain. Um, and the, I didn't know who it was. We were in a big church of about a thousand people. Guy pulled the car out. I said, oh, no worries, mate. I'll give you a push. Pushed his car, got him started. Obviously, it was raining, so he went off. And I didn't think nothing of it. Um, until next week, there was a little notice in the um, in the church notices, just saying thank you to that person that gave me a push last week. I wouldn't have known how to get my car started, and that taught me so much about the heart behind why you do something, why you bring your talent to the table, why you bring your talent to the church. Is it the heart behind it? And I didn't look for recognition, and that was one of those moments that God said thank you you are learning the lesson of what it means to serve and bring and be generous with your gift. And that's, this is the statement, don't be generous so that people will see you. Be generous out of a transformation of your heart and what God is doing inside you. We move on to the last one. And this is my question, this is my challenge that I have been looking at um, this week um, as I've been preparing and preaching. And this is the question. Do people see your generosity when it comes to your talents and skills? Are you selective of when you choose to be generous? So do you think you're a generous person with what you have? Or actually, when you think about it, do you think actually you're only generous here or there or somewhere else? Um, And as as I say, I'm quite pictorial. um, And I'm bringing the picture up here and you think, why on earth has he got this picture um, as part of his preach? And... I remembered as I've been praying through this week um, and the word permeate and actually when we are shaped by God, it permeates into every area of our life. So you're saying, why a lemon cake? Um, and we watch TV as family and I can't remember what it was, Master Chef or Great British Bake Off, but they had to make a lemon cake and one person forgot to start drizzling in and saturating the cake with the flavour of lemon and left it to the end. And it literally just sunk in a little bit into the cake. And there was other people where they had been pouring into it time and time and time again. So it permeated, it reached to all areas of the cake. And for us being a people who are generous with our talents and our skills, that's my challenge, is has, have you, been shaped by God and have you let his spirit transform you so that you let your generosity be visible and evident everywhere. I mentioned earlier about how 
I don't think this is just this example I've used was from the tabernacle at the time about people bringing their skills. But today the church is much more than Sunday morning. And I've said that a few times. So today and the challenges you think about this is where does your generosity reach with your talents and your skills? We have bakers, we have people who are practical, we have people who are skilled listeners. We have so many different bits in our church. Think about where you use it. Are you generous in all areas? Or are you selective to where you are seen? And I love, I've loved preparing for this and I'm gonna pray now to finish, but I would love us to think about this and ponder throughout this week about our motivation for generosity. Um, and if you want to speak about this, you know, in times where normally after church, we would chat through some of these things, but message me, phone me. I'd be love to talk through actually how this practically works out in your week, whether you're generous at school, whether you're generous um, with your family, if you're generous in your relationships um, and your talents and skills. So I'm going to finish there. Thank you so much for listening. Um, and I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you that you call us to be both shepherds and kings, to bring practically to you what we have to our church, to um, you in our weeks. You ask us to be kings, to bring our finances. Lord, you challenge us to be shaped by you, as we've seen with the Israelite nation, that we are called to be different. We are called to have an identity that marks us out. Father, help us to not hold to the lies that we have nothing to offer or please Lord check our motivation of why we are and how we do these things and Lord help us to be a people that are shaped by you transformed by holding your perspective Amen